Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for Believe in Me, Luke 22, 23, and 24. I will be going over one lesson, and that's lesson 12, starting on page 68. This lesson will be mainly about the, um, the women and the prophecy that Jesus expresses as he's on his way to the cross. Then we will see, because of the picture that we have drawn, that Jesus is crucified. He's nailed to the cross, but we spend a good bit of time in this lesson looking at what the criminals said and what he believed to prompt what our belief is. And, and then we end considering our death, so our own death. So this does have emphasis on Jesus carrying his cross and being crucified. That may prompt um, some heaviness, and that's appropriate. There are other topics that are going on here to cover. So we just have a lot going on in this lesson. Another thing is that depending on what ladies have seen in movies or read or just like TV shows, depiction or their own um, background of Easter service, Good Friday, um, any of their backgrounds uh, at other churches, there's a lot of things that we might imagine or picture that have been dramatized, and we should just be double-checking our thoughts and um, against what we're studying in Scripture. So I think I just wanted to remind you about that. I tried to address some things that might have been out of the ordinary by giving specific archaeological details and so there just is a lot that could be brought into this lesson that ladies are learning something new or maybe they've been reading their bibles and what we've seen here is exactly what they've always read and understood one more thing because we are doing one lesson here we have time for discussion but there are only about 15 uh, questions or specific things that you might call on somebody. So I want to recommend that you plan on going around the circle, not to make it stiff, but just to let everybody have a chance to share something. And you leaders will need to pay attention to where you are in the circle, just again, to, to share the involvement because this is one lesson. Along the way, throughout the discussion, you will be opening it up to not put somebody on the spot for a personal question. And this certainly is opportunity for comments after someone has shared if they're called on. So we're not trying to uh, squelch anything. We're actually trying to give everybody an opportunity to share something. Since we're in one lesson, okay. Um, now, at the bottom of page 68. This lesson is about the procession and the promises. 
and then go ahead and read the first um, quote from the song. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Read that next line. The cross was a tool of execution intended to cause horrific suffering and bring about public shame. And go to the top of page 69. We will cover several things that happened as Jesus was being crucified. Then ask the question, did Jesus carry his own cross? Yes and no. You don't want to pause too much because you don't want to say it like he, like you're asking that question right there. So um, just uh, anyway, answer the rhetorical question quickly. And then ask the first question. And this is where you're going to start going around the room. So call on somebody, start us off. What do Luke 23, 26 and John 19, 16, 17 tell you? What indicates that Jesus did carry his own cross and what says that he did not? In Luke 23, 26, it says, they led Jesus away and they took hold of Simon Cyrene of Cyrene and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. So in that particular Luke verse, we're seeing Jesus is not carrying the cross. It doesn't say they took it, the cross off of Jesus. However, when we have to assume they did because in John 19, 16 and 17, it says they took Jesus, led him away, and he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called Golgotha. So, John tells us Jesus carried his cross, and Luke says that um, Simon carried it. We can grasp that. Um, oh, I was—I guess it's on the next page. I won't—I won't go there. All right. So go down to the bottom of the page. You read the box, and you were to highlight in the box that which describes crimes. So ask the next lady, what crimes did you highlight in the box that described um, those who were rebellious against the Roman government? So somebody will say um, deserters and captured enemy soldiers and rebels and criminals and thieves and brigands and slaves. So um, you could also say this was a the cross definitely had the criminal and his offense on it. So the, the guilt was there. When someone was on the cross, you knew what they did. At the top of page 70, um, well, this is what I just said. Carrying the cross was evidence of guilt, shame, and condemnation. Then this next question is open to anybody. Consider the parallels between rebellion against Rome and rebellion against God. Have you committed any crimes for which you deserve crucifixion? This is something to think about. This is something that we should talk about, but it's open to anyone to share. Um, I reiterated just for my own notes what the crimes were that are in the box, deserting, being an enemy, being a rebel, being a thief, being a brigand. If you didn't look that up, I did. And it's a member of a gang that ambushes and robs people and they attack from the forests and the mountains. 
Um, and then I just considered that list and how that does describe my crimes against God. I was his enemy. I was a deserter, like my back was turned against him, deserting his ways and rules, his laws. I was a rebel breaking his laws. And that was before, and I noted now, sometimes, you know, the sin nature prompts me to commit some of these crimes again, and I'm thankful that I can be forgiven of those. Basically, rebellion and going off and doing things my own way. That's um, a normal one. So, um, after that discussion, we are just... No, remember, Jesus was crucified in our place. We are the rebels, and he was crucified as the rebel, even though he was not. So does anybody want to take an opportunity to praise Jesus and thank him for what he did? You had an opportunity on your workbook to do that. I will share that. I just, I did take the opportunity to write a prayer of praise that, uh, Jesus, you were not guilty and Instead of being a rebel, he was—he is the ultimate obedient, reverent servant and son. And then I just was thinking of him as king and how he in all of his royal, innocent splendor gave himself for me. And I know that he has just been um, abused, beaten, scourged spit upon uh, it at in the the storyline that we're in but if I remember who he truly is and think of him in all of his glory and see him being crucified uh, that way uh, that reminds me of how much he did not deserve any of that um, torture Call on the next person um, in the group for the next question. Who was a part of the procession to the cross according to uh, Luke 23, 26, 27, and 32? So it starts off saying they led him. So that's the Roman guards and soldiers leading him from the praetorium. Then there's Jesus, Simon of Cyrene. Uh, there was a large multitude, so remember it's like early in the morning, but people are awake and now they're gathering around this event. There are women mourning, crying over him. And they, yep, it does say they were mourning and lamenting him, the women. And then there were two other criminals. This is what verse 32 points out. Two other criminals were also led away with him. I don't ever think of them in this procession, but they were there. We are not given any detail of the route used. It just says they led him away. But under the box, once again reiterating this point, uh, from the praetorium, which was Herod the Great's palace, Jesus may have been led through the city, through the city, to a northern gate and then outside the walls of the city. Now I have May because if you're, well, we're going to look at the map and the, and ladies can, you can ask if they have any comments about the map, but I want to talk about it at the top of page 71 for a second. 
If you look at the Praetorium, Herod the Great's palace, there is a little opening on the left-hand wall, so that's a gate out into like kind of the countryside. But if you're looking at the Praetorium and you look at the top of it, there's something like a triangle, and right next to that is another gate. So that's a northern gate outside of the city. So there are these two places that Jesus could have, two, two different routes that Jesus, they could have used to take Jesus to the um, Golgotha. And, and which one would it be? Uh, we don't know. So just wanted to bring that up. Next on uh, the next question under the map. Whichever route they took had a lot of people along it because we've just noted that a large multitude and all these women are mourning and wailing. So in Luke 23, 28 through 30, what does Jesus say to the women of the city who were weeping and wailing for him? And someone, the next person will just read the verse. That's, I've written the whole thing down because I didn't want to miss any of the details. Daughters of Jerusalem, stop crying for me. But cry for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the womb that never bore and breast that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us. And they'll say to the hills, Cover us. So I gave you a little comment of Jesus quoting from Hosea 10.8. And because there's a a pretty big passage that gives you the context. I'm not getting into all that there. I just assume if someone's curious, they can go look at that for themselves. But the main point is that in Hosea, they had the attitude, we have no king. And that's exactly what is going on here. We have no king but Caesar. So the people of Jesus's day, the Jews of Jesus' day were saying, Next question, um, or it's got three different verses, so you can have three different ladies answering this. What had Jesus already declared regarding the future of Jerusalem? Luke 13, 34 and 35. I'm so sorry, I did not give enough room for these. I totally ran out of room in my book. <laughs> so, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathered, gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the future of Jerusalem, I guess I, well, yeah, there's a lot there. The future, though, is there is going to be desolation. Your house is left to you desolate. That's the temple that's going to be destroyed and torn down. There's so much in those verses. And, um, well, also for Jerusalem, the future, they will not see Jesus until the time comes when they, the people of Jerusalem, so the Jews, say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Luke 19, um, somebody else, another lady's going to share that one. 
And the whole verse, when he approached the city, he wept over it. So this is the city of Jerusalem saying, if you had known in this day the things which make for peace, but they are hidden from your eyes, the days will come when an enemy will throw up a bank around you and hem you in on every side and level you to the ground. So he's talking to the whole city, the enemy, and that's going to be Rome, is going to come and put up a siege, surround them on every side and level and level the city and not leave one stone upon another and jesus very clearly says because you did not recognize the day of your visitation so the jews of jesus day were going to have the enemy come rome and destroy the city because they rejected jesus that's very specific and then uh, one more lady's going to do luke 21 20 through 22 and i had to cut and copy paste and cut and tape this verse into my book when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies then recognize that her desolation is at hand Uh, let those who are in judea flee to the mountains let those who are in the midst of the city depart let not those who are in the country enter the city because these are the days of vengeance in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled Um, on the top of page 72 where the women have been crying jesus has been predicting the destruction of jerusalem and at the top of page 72 we see jesus was compassionate towards these women who were grieving for him He knew their future held a terrible judgment against them for their rejection of him. The Roman destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD was severe for the city and the whole country and was a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy. I'm pausing because I'm thinking about Luke 21, 20 through 22, and I see how it could totally be what Jesus was talking about um, because we know that Rome was Rome did as he said surround and um, tear down the stones um, all those not leave one stone upon another but this this Luke 21 20 through 22 is possibly in times and I'm not sure whether we could say that it happened twice? I just don't know. So I wanted to give a little caveat there in case it comes up. Because it, it definitely sounds like an end times prophecy. And I just have not researched it enough to see whether we are to say it, it's twice. Like then and now. Or if it's only uh, for the future. And if I should not have included it in this um, list against Jerusalem being attacked by Rome. So that's a caveat of something I need to look into. Now, on page 72, we are going to look at, um, well, I, just to finish up this part of Jesus talking to the women. Jesus had enough strength to look at the crying women and speak to them. And that is just fascinating to me. Wow, remember, 
the condition that he's in. <clears throat> he has been scourged. And um, he's been awake all night. And he's been being moved from one place to the other. So he has strength given to him by God the Father and the Holy Spirit and his obedience <clears throat> to the Lord. So, and he's actually, when you look at what he said, if you were to just read the verses in a row, it's not like he just said one word to them. This couple of sentences, it's, it's like he really did speak to them. Okay, so I'm just emphasizing the strength of Jesus right now on the way to the cross. <clears throat> now, leaders, you should write in your workbooks the first part of Luke 23:33 because I would like for you to read that before we get to talk about these pictures. Luke 23:33 says, "When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there." So I just need you to read the first half of it because the rest of the verse is going to show up in the pictures as we're talking about it. And when it comes to the crosses here, the first question that you should ask is, how did you label the crosses? So in the middle, how did you label the middle cross? It says, this is the king of the Jews. How did you label the cross on the right and the left of Jesus' cross? I put criminal at the top of them. So there's that. And then um, we're going to talk about the statements that were recorded. And there are four different statements that were recorded. So what I would like to do is say, okay, I'd like to get four different ladies. And, and you know, if you can keep going around the circle, or but you don't have to. <clears throat> and assign... Um, four different ladies. So number one takes the first statement. Number two, the second statement that came from the criminal. Number three, the third statement that came from the other criminal. And then the fourth lady is what Jesus said in response to the criminal. So if you can assign that and then talk through it. So what was the first thing that Jesus said from the cross? Luke twenty-three thirty-four. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then, who spoke up? Criminal on one side said to Jesus, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. That's Luke 23, 39. And now the third lady will do what the other criminal said. He had a lot. He said a lot. So he's, um, he says... A lot when you compare it to how much Jesus said. <clears throat> anyway, Luke 23, 40 through 42. The other criminal answered, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. So we see he is talking to the first criminal who spoke. And then this criminal says to Jesus, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
we're going to look at how incredible that statement is. And then the fourth lady will say what Jesus said to the criminal. Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. I've just realized that I did not spend any time looking at what Jesus said about those who were um, crucifying him. And we're going to come back to that in the next lesson. So um, we're not totally skipping it. We'll get back to it. Not in this discussion, <laughs> but in the next week's lesson. At the top of page 73, once again, Jesus was recognized as innocent. And then we see the grace of God and light of truth broke through to one of the criminals. So we wanted to compare our beliefs to those of the criminal. He was a confessing and repenting and trusting criminal. See, he confessed, like just looking at his statement, I, I, I felt like I needed to, to describe him as more than just a wicked criminal because he changed on the cross. Because of the grace of God and truth and, and his faith. So, um, leaders, please read the statement and then ask the question. So, first of all, this criminal was a sinner, guilty, condemned, suffering deservedly for what he had done. He said, we are receiving what we deserved. And then ask the question, what do you believe that you deserve based on your sin nature? And this can be open to the group, you know, maybe hear various answers if there's more than one answer. And I don't mean that there will be different answers, just expressed in different ways. But I have that I deserve the full wrath of God and I deserved eternal judgment and punishment and I just thought I should stick on that because it's like I really do deserve punishment I do deserve the vengeance of God I do deserve God's justice against my sin so just bringing the reality of that back to mind leaders read number two he recognized, the criminal recognized that Jesus was innocent, sinless, and not deserving crucifixion. And we know that because he said, this man has done nothing wrong. So then the question, asking the whole group, what do you believe about the sinlessness of Jesus? Now we've been emphasizing this, but it is just absolutely critical to emphasize that Jesus was sinless. So I wanted to um, stick my thoughts on this and be as thorough and aware and, and conscious of his innocence and sinlessness. So, of course, absolutely. He is sinless, but it's like in every way, in every thought, every word, every action, every reaction to people around him. Wow. Uh, every desire that he had. Every relationship that he had was, he was sinless in his, um, 
well, in the relationship, in his interactions, in his love for the person. And then, uh, you know, every moment of every single day for his whole life. This is beautiful. It's wonderful. Uh, Number three, read that next statement. The criminal saw that Jesus was dying, but concluded that Jesus could still save him. This was an astounding conclusion. It shows the criminal believed Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And... Um, he made this statement. The criminal said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. That was his cry for help. Remember me. So from what will Jesus save you? And it, again, this is opening up to the group. It's for not just a one-word answer. That's probably it's, there are easy one-word answers, but we're just thinking on the the depths uh, of the rescue and what we've been rescued from. So I said that Jesus saves me from my sin and from eternal death and from the wrath of God, from the power of sin, from the sting of death. Because yes, my body will most likely die unless I get raptured, but Um, And that doesn't mean that my own personal death won't hurt, but I will have a resurrected body. And then I also put from the arrows of Satan, um, just what Satan would do. He's saving me from Satan's, um, what? Um, (laughs) Satan doesn't get to do anything with me. And I also just remembered, you know, what can man do to me? So I am in God's hands. So whatever happens to me may, may happen here and now, but God is saving me from, the, from being stuck with just this life. That's great. Okay. The fourth sentence, read that one. Equally incredible is that fact that although the criminal saw that Jesus was dying, he concluded that he would come again in his kingdom and specifically requested to be remembered when that happened. So remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you come. uh, Wow. This man had learned something about the Messiah and the Messiah's kingdom. And he understood that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was the one that was going to have the kingdom. A royal reign. So do you believe that Jesus will come back to earth to reign as king over his kingdom? Yes, I do. I hope you do too. I hope you're excited about it. I saw a commentary note that said, this is Barnes, Albert Barnes commentary. Some Jews, and it means back then. Jesus day some Jews believed Jesus would rise from the dead and uh, that's good news <laughs> they should have um, but not everybody did we know even the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection so there were a lot of different thoughts going on back then the last question on this page you can call on whoever next in the group what beautiful promise did Jesus make to the repentant rebel, according to Luke 23, 
43. So ask that question first. Because what's the promise? And the promise is, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So try to ask that first. And then you can, after that's given, you know, what is the best thing about this promise? The place or the person? Well, the place is not paradise without the person. Another thing to look at with this promise is that every single word is really incredible. Truly. Okay, Jesus is affirming. He's comforting truly with that first word. I say to you, Jesus has the authority to make this promise. Yes, he does. He has the authority. And then he says, today. So you don't have to wait for what's going to happen. Today, he says to the criminal. You, he's talking to the criminal who's repenting. So this is personal. And he has to be looking at that criminal. What a beautiful, wonderful look that he would have as he spoke to that criminal. And then you shall be with me, and that is the best part of the news, with me in paradise. And if that was the last thing that this criminal might have been thinking about, paradise, that word, and whatever beautiful um, ideas would have come to mind, how comforting it would have been to that criminal on the cross to know that he was By faith, by God's grace, he was saved. Well, um, when you turn the page to the top of 74, there's a paragraph. And just ask someone to read that. So, Because leaders, you're getting to do a lot of talking here. And this is, I'd like for these things to be reiterated. And somebody else can read this paragraph at the top. I won't read it. Leaders, you then can ask, do you think the criminal was ready to die after hearing that? Yes, I do. And then leaders ask, are you prepared for the day of your death? That may be a challenging question. Um, Some may be uh, quick to respond. Others may be more thoughtful or concerned. This, there's just, this question could prompt a variety of reactions. So I would say handle it with care, with sensitivity, um, maybe even preface it that the next question may have been um, disconcerting to some of you. You might not have liked it. Others of you may have responded differently. So um, if anyone would like to share their thoughts, we'd like to talk about whether you are prepared for your day, for the day of your death. Very specifically, have you received Jesus' offer of deliverance from condemnation? And then also, are um, are you applying your faith to your outlook for your death? And I'll just say that I use this an, as an opportunity to, um, to pray for my attitude about the manner of my death. Because what happens to me after I die is not what bothers me. Jesus is going to take me to heaven. So I know that. But 
the manner of my death is what can scare me. So, um, like I said, I, I chose to to pray through this and to um, pray to keep my eyes on Jesus, even if I do have to endure pain in my death. Uh, there's a children's prayer that has the phrase in it, if I should die before I wake. And the way I learned it was, I pray the Lord my soul will take. And that kind of sounds like I'm asking you, Lord, to take my soul. So I just wrote that in here, but change the word. If I should die before I wake, I know the Lord my soul will take. So I'm confident of um, my life with Jesus after my death. And then we change to our perspectives on while we're still alive in human bodies on this earth. Um, what are the perspectives we should have? So we have three, three more verses, three more ladies sharing, hopefully. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. My translation, I think I was looking at the CSB. Don't give up. <laughs> I was those are good words. What's, while we're still alive in human bodies on this earth, what perspective should we have? Don't give up. So I enjoyed that. And then I love the rest of this passage. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen and what is temporary here and now, but we focus on what is unseen and what is eternal. Second Corinthians 5, 8 and 9. Paul was and I am confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. So I know that's what's going to happen to me, um, my soul. And then whether I am at home with the Lord or away, meaning right here I am away, then um, we are to make it our aim to be pleasing to the Lord. And then Paul, again in Philippians 1, 20 through 24. You know, Paul faced death a lot. He thought about it, and he has now, he's expressing his, um, his thoughts about death, his own death. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. And I want that attitude too. Uh, he continued, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I don't know which to choose. I'm torn between the two. My desire is to, to, to depart and be with Christ. Um, that's better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So Paul loved Jesus and he loved his people. And uh, the way that we ended this lesson as we were thinking about going to heaven. <laughs> thinking about keeping our eyes on Jesus who is in heaven now. Being heavenly minded should result in doing earthly good. These um, three passages should have shown us that as well. So 
that brings this lesson to a close. And I hope that when you have discussed it with your group, it will have been a very helpful, meaningful discussion. Thank you for your time.